0: Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast, the unconventional homesteading podcast. I'm Stephanie from Wyoming. And I'm Tara
1: from Montana. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into an inclusive homesteading topic from canning, dairy animals, gardening, animal husbandry, and everything in
0: between. Hey Tara. Hey. How's it going? It's better. Good.
1: Yeah.
0: Good. You've had a doozy.
1: Oh, somebody has to either you're in chaos or i'm in chaos there's no in between Mm -hmm. like our lives just cannot be normal no not at the same time people are probably like this is not real life (laughs) like they cannot be going through all of this all the time
0: seriously there's always something i
1: wish i were boring i really do or i wish you were boring but no it would be nice sadly
0: it would be nice So who are we shouting out this week? So we are shouting out the Salmon Sisters of Homer, Alaska. And they, um, so Emily, I sh- I'm not sure how to say this. I'm going to say that right off the bat. Lakitas. Lakitis. You think that's how? Yeah. Seems, seems right. Emily, or Emma Lakitis and Claire Nelson. Both of them are commercial fishermen, and both of them are sisters. They both grew up on a homestead in the Aleutian Islands. So they're our kind of people, which is awesome. It's super Awesome. And the company they started is part salmon, part commercial salmon fishing, and part clothing and gear. And the best part is that they're an all woman team, which I think is amazing, especially in something like a commercial fishery.
1: Seriously, like you wouldn't first think of a woman doing this, let no. alone sisters. And now they're kind of like world renowned. Yeah, they're killing it.
0: They have great values and are doing their share to help the community and the environment. And like just a couple examples that they have listed on their website is they help out with food security in Alaska through um, a program that they started called the Give Fish Project. And they donate a portion of their proceeds in wild fish to the Alaskan food bank.
1: And that's so, awesome.
0: It's amazing. and so, like
1: It's such an integral part of their food system there in Alaska.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And the fact that it's being donated, especially for us down here, like salmon seems like a high on the hog sort of meat. You know what I mean? I just think that's great. Yeah. So they've donated over 300 thousand servings of wild salmon so far is that crazy wow they also support organizations that help protect marine ecosystems and people who depend on them in Alaska sustainability is super important to them and they partner with responsibly managed fisheries and take steps to maintain seafood as a renewable resource for Alaskans future generations as well like they're really keyed into the culturality is that is that a word that is not a word Uh, the culturalness (laughs) (laughs) is it getting worse Worse okay, good. the culture aspect perfect of of alaska <laughs> and fishing and they they do a lot to protect that which i think is awesome yeah and through that they also do a lot of education too just so, just to help people connect to the natural world more for sure all of their products that they make um, like their clothing and stuff are all sustainably and ethically sourced and made and on their website, they have a ton of things for purchase. Um, I was expecting to log onto there and find like a branded t-shirt, a hat and some salmon, right? No.
1: Yeah. It's definitely not that.
0: No, it's incredible. Like there's so much stuff on there. They have everything in the food department from like obviously fish obviously fish, fish, and different size packages too, like all, the whole gamut. They have their own seasonings that they crafted and they even wrote a cookbook, which I want so bad now that I've seen this. Cookbook, now I want a cookbook from them. I'm like hyper focused on this cookbook. We love cookbooks. I'm obsessed. And this one looks beautiful. I have family that fishes for salmon in Oregon. And they have brought me a ton of salmon this year for whatever reason. And then we had another friend um, from the Pacific Northwest also bring us salmon. I have so much salmon in my freezer right now. And I might just buy it. I might buy the yeah. book. I'm in love with it. And on the apparel side, they have all of the options. Like everything you need head to toe. I think the hoodies are super cute.
1: I bet and they're warm too. They would have to be, right? They'd have to be They'd warm. they have to be.
0: <laughs> and right, I think it's just a right now thing. But they also have holiday boxes which have like a little bit of everything that they offer, which is, I think, super cool. Anytime you could get a We need to add that to
1: the winter-
0: To the winter gear list, yeah. Yeah. Anytime you can get like a diversified gift in one click, I'm about it. Yes. <laughs> about it. So check them out at aksalmonsisters.com. We'll have a link in our show notes. And uh, as Tara said, do you want to talk about your winter gear list?
1: Yeah, I have a winter gift guide on our website. It literally has four things on there because my electricity went out. And I haven't had time to actually put anything on there, but and we have still a lot we're of ch- checking
0: out, you're doing that thing. Yeah. Again.
1: How dare I? Stop How it. dare I? We're going to add stuff throughout the winter, I guess. So if you have somebody you're shopping for who's special and you love them very much, you should check out our winter gift guide.
0: Yeah. And we'll have that in our show notes, too.
1: Yes. So if you want to get a hold of us or ask us a question, you can reach out to us on Instagram or our email is milkmaidspodcast at gmail.com. Please leave a review on iTunes. We do read these on here and we thank you. And then we send you a little message on Instagram thanking you if we can find you. Do that. Do all those things. Love it. As most of you know, there has been like massive flooding in the PNW. and And specifically, we're just going to talk about British Columbia, Canada right now. Because the pictures that are surfacing are just freaking awful to like look at. They're horrible. It's really, really sad to see like you sent it to me this morning. I hadn't seen the pictures yet and it was just like heartbreaking. It's flooding there. And then a lot of this land is covered in farms mm-hmm. and there's nowhere for these calves to go. There's nowhere for these cows to go. And it's just literally hundreds of calf huts floating in this flood water. Yeah.
0: And like when you think of flooding, now to what you think of, I think of like a couple inches of water, maybe like a foot. They're talking like five foot of water. It's covering. Like it's drowning cow. Cows. Holstein cattle. Right. It's not
1: even like a mini. No, it's it's so going sad. over Holstein cattle's heads. There's pictures of it.
0: Yeah, the area, I guess, is really prominent in dairy and chicken production, too.
1: Well, I read that it was originally a lake that they drained. Yeah. They haven't had this problem before, from what I've read. It's just... Well, they got a month's
0: worth of rain in two days.
1: In two days. So according to this article written by Jess Winters on CNN, they received a month's worth of rain in two days this has caused massive flooding and it affected a large number of farms since half of this town is covered in farming area so what's really terrifying to see that these farmers are trying with all their might to pull on these halters and try to save all these holsteins and some are even trying to encourage these cows to swim by pulling their halters while driving a skidoo and the picture of it is just scary to look at because it's a man on a skidoo in winter gear And he's pulling and pulling on this Holstein who barely has her head above the water.
0: It's insane to say the least. Like it is like the most heartbreaking image.
1: The nice thing is that everyone's getting together to try and help. But there's Mm -hmm. like only so much you can do with that many Holsteins and that little amount of people. So yeah, the entire community is just trying to desperately get these animals out. Even people in cars are cut off and they're stranded there. And it's just really an awful situation all around. So I did see some people are doing some fundraising for farms that are affected even in the pnw so keep an eye out on that i saw butchery 101 i just shared One of her posts on that because she has been posting just the fundraisers that they're doing in order to help these farms that are affected in the PNW and British Columbia.
0: Yeah. What I was saying too, is like, even if an area isn't completely underwater and are relatively fine, like they, they still don't have any feed or you know what I mean? Or whatever. That's what I was thinking because there's
1: there's this vet facility, this large vet facility that they had a picture of. And there were just, I don't know about 50 cows standing there and the water was up to half their body. But, like, where are they gonna eat? So now they're right. starving because there's no way that they can get hay. All the hay is underwater or floating around. I don't know what it's doing, but they're certainly not
0: eating. No. And you, I like, the, I mean, the thing is, is like when you evacuate animals, you're evacuating them somewhere safe and quick, right? Yeah. Um, not necessarily somewhere that is like stocked with hay. You know what I mean no right it's just heartbreaking I've like spent an extra minute with Virgie this morning like oh. it just it just breaks my heart to think about like what how she would feel going through that and I know I put a lot of emotion on my cows but they must be so scared and cold and yeah confused Ugh. upset yeah it just breaks my heart so I had actually noticed that for whatever reason this last week I don't know if you noticed this We have had like a jump in our Canadian listenership. Yeah. So if any of you are dealing with that and if we can help you with it in any way, please reach out. Yeah. If you know anybody affected,
1: we can share their information. We have a Facebook and it does have people that we reach. So we're happy to help in any way we can. Yeah. Yeah.
0: From one... tragedy to the next what's happening on your farm
1: so you already know but there was a huge storm that came in from the pnw and basically the day before it was like 55 60 degrees which is super unusual here Mm -hmm. and when that happens and there's cold weather coming in it creates wind because there's a cold front that comes in it's just like a fluctuation of heat and cold makes wind anyway yeah it knocked out our power which i kind of predicted i kind of knew that was going to happen just because we had the same thing happen last year around february so i got all the waters filled I just busted my ass getting it all ready for the storm to come in.
0: She even edited an entire podcast just I to did. be prepared.
1: I did. I didn't want to let you guys down. So I got the uh. podcast up Monday and got it pre scheduled to be released Thursday because I was like, I know it's coming. Yeah. Our power is going to go out. It did. Ugh, it did. And then we went to bed that night. It was like 9 30 when our electricity goes out. So of course we were watching TV and then we went to bed. Right. Uh, it was super windy. And we we're just like, whatever. Well, then my husband gets up in the morning because it's freezing and the baby's in the bed with me. He's four, not a baby, but <laughs> and then goes outside. And uh, I guess a whole ass tree fell onto my cow's paddock. And to top it off, she's pregnant. And it was a ponderosa pine that fell, right. which if they eat those needles, they can abort their calf yeah luckily she doesn't really have a taste for it and she's more confused than anything but it was literally like 20 feet away from her uh shelter that she sleeps in and she could have easily been smashed by it oh totally it was kind of scary and it just wrecked our fences maybe i'll post pictures on the milkmaids thing
0: but it's not funny because it really could have been worse like you were saying it could have (laughs) like killed dixie honestly yeah or it could have fought like where it landed if it would have been like five foot and other in in any yeah any but it fell like the full length of your fence it did like right on top of the entire (laughs) length not just across it in one section
1: it couldn't no that'd be too easy no yeah so and the funny thing is the tip of the tree broke off into the fencing so it's literally like we got the fencing back up that day because we had another paddock that i could move the cows to Mm -hmm. and the tip is still in there like we had to cut the tree and Put it up with a tip into the fence so oh and i was gosh. like the calf is gonna go check that out the first thing that she did was went and sniffed on that piece that was broken into the fence anyway we didn't hear it i don't know how that's crazy to me that. the wind was just so loud that everything yeah. was loud that yeah moment. so and that's the second time that's happened within a full year and we used to never have wind like this um it's like once in a lifetime windstorms happening twice a year now every
0: couple every couple months
1: yeah right. so scary it could have been worse like a lot of people lost their roofs and all we did was lose a little bit of the fence that we fixed and now we have we had to just work our asses off to get that all cleaned up so she didn't eat any of it and then we lost our kids play place so you know it's like a goner it's yeah, rest in peace. Right. That's how bad it is. I don't know how that happened, but I did discover that those tie downs that you screw into the ground for mm-hmm. trampolines, our trampoline didn't budge. So those that's tie so downs crazy are to me. worth their weight in gold. So if you yeah. have a chicken tractor and you're scared of winds, purchase some yep. and just keep them on hand because I yeah. swear they'll
0: work. Totally. Yeah, that's crazy about the trampoline, I think, because usually any sort of wind comes up in they mm-hmm. goners. They're goners.
1: It was totally fine. It didn't even budge. My gosh. And then one of the pig houses broke, but it's going to happen. So we're Doug fixed it today. It's all good. I just sent Stephanie the pic- funniest picture because it was like, it's an A-frame house and it collapsed. One side collapsed, but there's still a little room in there. And Matilda went into it. And she's huge. She's the tallest pig. And she went into the tiniest she's huge. house. It must be warm. I don't know.
0: She just did it to make you feel bad. Right. And I did. So I just have nowhere to sleep around here. <laughs> right? that's probably what it was there's how many other shelters <laughs> yeah
1: no she had to be in the broken one they always Seriously. go for the broken one right and then lastly i did order a quiet wean today because i took a break for two days of milking because of the situation at hand right so daisy was draining dixie luckily because she's obsessed with the milk yeah but dixie kicked into the bucket today, of course, when I'm like owl out of milk. And it wasn't her fault. Her teats are just so sore. And yeah, so I ordered a quiet wean because I'm sick of it. I feel bad for Dixie. And I guess I'll update you. There's like a whole bunch of uh this is kind of a really divided subject if you should put a weaning ring on your cow, calf or not. Mm-hmm. And I just decided to because they love to be together. So
0: Yeah, and the weaning rings there's like for anybody who doesn't know, they're like a plastic paddle that goes in there. Nose, but then it like covers their mouth, but not all, like when they're nursing, they can still yeah. eat it's not a muzzle, right? Right, but they make some with like spikes on them, to yeah, to encourage mom to kick them and stuff. And um, then they make some without that. So I'm assuming you've got the one without the spikes,
1: yeah. The quiet yeah. wean is the one that's completely soft, it's just wider on yeah. the bottom, so they can't get around it, right? And it's humane animal certified. It's the only one that's humane animal certified, so it's not going to hurt their nose or anything.
0: Yeah, we're going to try it. I'm super curious how that works for you. We were kind of talking about this earlier a little bit, but we've always had multiple paddocks with multiple animals running all of the time. So for us to just separate and wean hasn't been a big deal, but Um, on a smaller scale that's a massive hurdle it is so yeah yeah, it'll be really interesting to follow along and see how that works
1: originally i wanted to sell the calf but my son wants to show her for 4-h so now i'm stuck with her (laughs) (laughs) gotta try and make it work right so what's been going on your farm
0: um i was actually i just grabbed my phone to look through pictures because i don't remember nothing too exciting i don't think i have been working on (laughs) this is so extra (laughs) i shouldn't tell people this I've been working on getting a playroom area set up in our barn, which it's like a really good idea. (laughs) Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Like I recognize that I'm blessed to have that space. If I say I was starting out fresh, I don't think I would build a barn to have a playroom, right? Like that sounds a little extra to me. But also like it kinda of seems like a disservice not to use the space that I have, right? So Yeah, utilize it. The the kid did awesome all summer running around, uh, doing while well, we did chores, but there's like a lot more for her to do. She could go play outside, play in the rocks, you know, pick grass, whatever she wanted to do, right? Yeah. And now <laughs> I mean it's thirteen degrees this morning. She's not about that life. No, No, I'm not about that life either. Which means she sits in the parlor and she's good for like 10 minutes. And then that's 10 minutes is like a lifetime to a toddler, you know? Yeah. So then then she's like ready to do something else. But I still have another hour left. Yeah. In the barn. So anyhow, I've dedicated this little space to a playroom. And I've been like snagging used stuff off of Facebook and stuff like that. so Anyway, she's got like a little play kitchen in there and a little train table. She doesn't have any trains yet. We're still waiting for those to come up used. But <laughs> anyhow, uh, she's been she's been having fun with that. That doesn't seem like it should be quite the undertaking, but uh, for me, I'm pregnant, and like one little task like that in a day is plenty. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. It's plenty. So the other news, <laughs> we can't <laughs> we can't stop with like these insane things happening?
1: I forgot that this happened. So right. I guess your life has been chaos too.
0: It has. This week has been delightful and sometimes I get nervous saying that, but instead of jinxing it, I'm just going to say that I'm praising it for being positive.
1: (laughs) Yes. Good job
0: week. Because the last month and a half has been one fairly massive tragedy every single week. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So three weeks ago now, right? uh, We lost our dog and then there was a bunch of nonsense behind or before that. And then the week after that, Brian got in an accident with his work truck Luckily, everybody in the accident was fine. It wasn't his fault. Just ISIS ICE. fault. Yeah, somebody ahead of him lost control. And anyways, fine. Everybody's fine. That's great. <laughs> the work truck's totaled, so he's waiting on a work truck. But we only have one other vehicle because he's always yeah. had a work truck. So he's has our truck, which means I didn't have a vehicle. So all these jokes that I've been making about <laughs> how I need you a van manifested it. <laughs> manifested through sarcasm and passive aggressive humor. <laughs> Yes. Right. Anyhow, the long and the short of it is, is I found a van and we had to drive down to Salt Lake City to get it. But we got, it got me a minivan. Super stoked <laughs> about it. it.
1: <laughs> yeah, this bitch put a blanket down to put feed in the back. I was like, you're going to get over that real fast.
0: I went from a one ton pickup to a minivan. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I had to go get feed. And so, yeah, anyways, loaded up the back of the minivan with feed. It worked perfect.
1: Yeah. I'm telling you, you really do get over the blanket part fast because you're like, eh.
0: Uh, oh, I'm sure I will. Every vehicle I do, but it's like when you get something that's nice. I mean, this is a very used van. It's not, it's still nice. Yeah. It's almost a yeah. decade old, but it's like in immaculate condition. Mm-hmm. So I want to keep it that way. But that, yeah, you're right. That usually doesn't last for very long. Our <laughs> pickup like, oh. was the same way. Yeah. It was yeah. gorgeous when we got it. And now it's,
1: no, it's my a work, son put a work bullet, kid truck. bullet stickers on With the outside. Bullet stickers.
0: <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> he did give me bullet stickers
1: oh bless his heart
0: he's so sweet yeah the van was the exciting part other than that we're still waiting on virgie's next heat cycle oh that's right yeah the pigs are getting ready to go in i bet you're happy not that i'm counting but it's like (laughs) 10 days crossing off the days on the calendar yeah what else i think that's about it
1: that transitions well (laughs)
0: Speaking of lard.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. So our main topic this week is for how to on soaping. And this is not actually technically a how to. It's just like to give you some history and some knowledge on soaping. I'm just going to read you this disclaimer really quick. So you don't sue us because we don't have money. (laughs) Stephanie spent it all in her van. (laughs) I spent it on braces for my kids. So it's true. Yeah. Mom life. (laughs) We're so exciting. This episode is not at all telling you how to make soap. And we are not liable for you. You need to like really research soap making and how to safely do it. We're just hoping to give you basic knowledge of what soap making is and how we both started making soap. Milkmaid's podcast is not an end-all be-all for soap making. And we really encourage you to buy books, take classes, watch YouTube before you get started. And please always make sure you're wearing the proper protective equipment prior to even beginning any soap making. And we were only talking about like basic bar soap making today.
0: Yeah, soap making, there's a lot to it, but we have to start somewhere and also it's not dangerous but it can be so disclaimer inserted
1: you have to be respectful of it yeah. like an animal treat it like it's a goose yes. treat
0: it like it's a goose it's
1: my favorite okay <laughs> so history of course all this information for the history was gathered from the website soaphistory.net which is actually a thing I was very surprised good on you <laughs> soaphistory.net I'm all about it you're all about it So the first traces of soap making in history came from 2800 BC. During an excavation of ancient Babylon, there are clues that Babylonians were perfecting the incredibly complex soap making science. So the first method of soap making included mixing ashes with animal fats that then were turned into soap, which they weren't actually used to clean people. But instead were used to like wash wool, textiles, and utensils. Like cleanliness as far as soap using on humans was actually not until Mm -hmm. very far later. Right. It's true. Yes, now I know. There's also some evidence that it was used medicinally. But like early soap making was just not intended to be used on bodies. They definitely were trying to get those dishes cleaned, utensils, things like that.
0: I wonder how that came to be. Because they're not... They're not wrong with the ashes and the animal fat. Yeah. Like like a lot of foods and stuff, right? Like we've talked about cheese was probably a welcome accident. Beer was probably a welcome accident. Mm-hmm. Like how did they figure out to even do that i don't know yeah no i'd like i don't i doubt anybody does you know what i mean but it's just an interesting yeah
1: because especially ashes i, ju- I just guess yeah. they never threw away anything including ashes right they found a way to use it so in egypt around 1550 bc egyptians were mixing vegetable oils and animal fats with alkali salts in order to create their own soap as well and Romans were actually using their own urine to combine with fats in order to make soap that was widely used in Rome.
0: That's Fun interesting. Fact. Again, like, why? who thought of, you know what would work? They use pee for a lot of things. Yeah, though. that's true.
1: And the Celts made their own form of soap they called sap- sapau. I'm probably saying that wrong because everything that's Celtic is spelled differently than how we pronounce it. Anyway, right. but this is where the so- the word soap comes from. When soap making first began, and for a long while, it was exclusive to that tradesperson, there was like a huge monopoly on soap because, I mean, it's kind of technical, especially when you're talking about ashes and animal fat. There was not a book written about it. It was just specific to that tradesperson. So they didn't YouTube? They didn't YouTube. Oh. No, sadly. It really wasn't widely understood how it was made, so that tradesperson could charge pretty much whatever they wanted for it. Magic. Yes, it was. It was witchcraft actually <laughs> <laughs> so over time more and more people started understanding the science but the ingredients were still hard to come by and gather so soap was still incredibly expensive and in the 1800s 1800s once the science of glycerin fats and alkalis were more understood there was like incredible advances that led to more and more producers which brought the cost of soap down And it wasn't until the 19th century that humans really started understanding the need to be clean themselves. So they started manufacturing or making their own soap that was separate from laundry or dish soap, which I always thought that it would be like human soap first and then (laughs)
0: laundry
1: and dish soap after. But no, it's the opposite, actually.
0: It's putting clean clothes on like a nasty body. Yeah. Lipstick on a pig sort of situation.
1: (laughs) My clothes smell nice, though. Right. (laughs) So today there are a lot of the same practices being used and we will just cover some basic terminology as it pertains to soap making.
0: So for some terminology, we're going to go through, um, like kind of a quick, fast and dirty. We'll get more into them, but lye, first off, AKA sodium hydroxide, also called caustic soda. And it is necessary to make soap. If the soap does not have lye, it's not soap. It's like a common misconception. Yeah.
1: Every, when I, sold it years ago. I'm just getting back to selling it now, but somebody was like, well, I don't like lye in it. I was like, okay, so
0: you don't like soap? So you want lotion?
1: Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. You want oil?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Common misconception. You'll see it though, if you're shopping around. What most people buy today is actually detergent bars and detergent bars are not soap. Detergent bars have no lye and they did not go undergo a process to turn them into soap, but there are chemical compounds that mimic soap. So, Lye is basic on the pH scale, meaning that it's greater than seven. Acids are less than seven, and that's important to know as we go forward into this explanation. And then soap. What what is even soap? Soap What is soap? (laughs) What is this? (laughs) So soap is actually what you get when you make a chemical reaction between an alkali, in this case, lye, and fats and oils. So it's really simple sounding, right? Again, if you do not have lye, you do not have soap, but that's really all soap is is lye and oil in yeah. one degree or another. Right. So there's different methods to making soap that we'll kind of touch on. Melt and pour is probably the most basic. So these are pre-made bases that already went through the saponification process that did in fact include lye. And many people who are scared to start making soap with lye start with this and we'll get into that. The lye can be kind of the scary part, but this is already made. So what you can do is you can easily melt it, mix, and pour these however you want. Uh, quality is never as good compared to the true homemade soaps, though, uh, that are cold processed or hot, hot processed. And that's pretty much just because it's like a commercial product. So Yeah, and come... it's not
1: specific to you. Like, you don't yeah. have a say in what is included in it, really. Yeah. And then also, if you try to add things like breast milk, right. think of melt and pour it's already a baked cake you're just melting it and forming it that's all you're doing with melt and pour you can add fragrances because they're shelf stable but once you try to add milks or anything it's like pouring raw eggs onto an already baked cake like it's gonna rot it's gonna mold it's gonna be bad it's not being preserved by the light in any shape or form yeah so it's not as versatile as cold process soap which we'll talk about in a little bit
0: yeah so cold processing this is the most popular form of soap making this is where you melt and mix all your oils get your lye solution made up with your distilled water and let it cool and then mix until it comes to trace you add your fragrances and additives and you pour into a mold so a common cure time then is four to six weeks So after you make it, you have to wait. Hot process, on the other hand, this is where you add external heat in order to speed up the chemical reaction of the lye and the fats and oils. Be warned, this is a heavily debated topic in the soap world, especially uh, you are said to not have to wait as long for the water to evaporate from the bars of soap, meaning that your cure time is cut down. However, typically the longer you let soap cure, the better they are. So curing, what is curing? Let's talk about soap curing. Or this is the time period after you've cut the soap and left the bars exposed to the open air away from sunlight and moisture to evaporate excess liquids to become more mild as the saponification process completes. This is very important, do not skip this part. You can have lye issues, and you can also just waste your soap right down the sink because it will be so soft. Yeah. So another word that you're gonna hear a lot in the soap world is trace. And this is something that you just have to know what it is. You'll watch YouTube videos to figure it out. You'll read books, you'll look at pictures. Once you've seen it, you've seen it. So this is when the mixture of your lye solution and the fats and oils reaches trace. It's when it's to the point that it kind of looks like pudding. And you can take your immersion blender out and it leaves a trail on the top of the soap you just made. It isn't so much liquid now. It's more of a batter. And a batter is like the perfect, like a cake batter is the perfect way to describe it. Gel is another word that you'll hear a lot in the soap world. And in order to make soap, you need a chemical reaction. And this creates heat. So when the soap undergoes heat, it becomes clear looking and very warm, usually around 160 degrees. Not all soap undergoes gel, and some people actually try to prevent gel phase in order for the color to stand out. Or you may want to do a full gel, but you, yeah, either way, you don't want to do a partial gel. Um, So if the recipe has a lot of sugars in it, then go ahead and wrap the mold in a towel and put it in a box in order to force gel. Some recipes... We force gel, and some we try not to. We try to keep as cold as possible. Either is fine, but if you get a partial, you'll have a circle in the middle uh, of your bars. And in general, a beginner soap making book will tell you what to do in order to either prevent gel or encourage it. So don't worry too much about it until you're more advanced. Um, But it does, if you get in that in-between ground, it can make kind of an unattractive. The bar will still be fine. It'll just be unattractive.
1: And I don't think anybody notices the circle unless you're used to making soap because I'm horrible in the fact that I'll get on Etsy and there's a billion people that sell on Etsy Mm -hmm. and I'll be like, okay, so they only got a partial gel and I can see that. So they're not really technical in their soap making. Uh, Right. You just, as if you're just using it for yourself, doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. It really
0: just is an appearance thing. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It is. To me, it's a big deal. I always try and get it one direction or the other. Yeah. And it does, yeah, because it affects the colors. There are just sometimes that you want to go one way or the other.
1: Yeah, and it usually you can look up and see. So, for example, I was doing something with paprika, and it required. It looked better when you let it gel, so that's what I did. I mm. forced a gel with a towel. It's really easy to do.
0: It sounds more complicated than it is. Yeah, yeah, I know it is, and that's like a lot of this stuff. We're kind of hitting you with a lot of terms and words and yada yada yada. A, if you get a visual component frequently frustrated with the fact that I know I can't maybe we show, show you YouTube you really on here yeah <laughs> um but anyways as you get into it a lot of this stuff is going to make total sense it just can kind of seem overwhelming at first so the next term is super fat or super fatting so when making body soap the measurements of lye and oil is done in a way that lends itself to leaving extra fats to provide moisture so most of the time, this is around 5%, meaning that 5% will not react with the lye. This is good because you don't want the soaps to dry out on your body, but also it can be very tricky depending on the oils that you're using. So again, if you're new, just stick to a recipe that's already made. Um, and when you get more advanced, you can play with it, which is yeah. like always our advice for everything. If you don't know how to do it, follow somebody's direction first Yeah, and then play with it.
1: And a note on recipes, don't just get it from a blog online. No,
0: it's like canning. Yeah,
1: Yeah. it really is. Uh, Because what's scary to me is people will write blogs and it will have a measurement of like, oh, use a cup and a half of lye. I know. You can't do that with lye or any soap products. The only thing you can do is like additives, like ground oats. You can add a tablespoon because it's not integral to the chemical
0: process. But you absolutely need to measure things. Yeah, because so the chemical so- process essentially, if you had like a zero percent, like the perfect chemical reaction of soap, right? You'd have a hundred percent of the lye bonded with a hundred percent of the fat. Yeah. Right? So there's no extra fat. There's no extra lye. If you measure inappropriately and you get too much lye, it could be lye heavy. So right, You say you have like 105 units of lye and 100 units of fat. You're gonna have extra lye just in your bar, just straight up lie. That's not good. That's not good. Or if you go the other direction, where you have a hundred and or a hundred units of lie and hundred and five units of fat, a hundred and a hundred of those are gonna pair, and you'll have five units of fat left, right? Yeah. So that's um, that's where the super fatting comes in. But that's why you have to be careful on the mixing, is because it's not just a dash of this, a dash of that. It's a very no, it's calculated. Not thing yeah right so fragrance oils are another thing that are common and these are often synthetic fragrances that are man-made specifically for bath body or candle applications the nice thing about these is that they are less expensive than essential oils but depending on your preferences they can be a little strong in some instances and you really need to be careful and read when you're purchasing because some of these accelerate cold process soaps and they're not always recommended for cold process or melt and pour and you may have to troubleshoot if they do react or separate on the soap. So if you go with a tested fragrance oil from a reputable, reputable, reputable. source <laughs> that is specifically labeled for cold or hot process, then you should be good to go. And check usage rates prior to adding and then always measure. If you buy your fragrance oils from a soap company, they will have this very clearly laid out. Yeah. Um, I was making a uh, vanilla bar of soap. Yeah. Um, do you remember that one I did it was half white and half brown? Right? Yeah. But I thought it was going to be like a full white or like a gentle tan, but it went like straight up like dark chocolate brown. Yeah. And all vanillas. Yeah, I could not figure out what the hell was going on. And um it was later when I went back to order something else, I had seen a note that vanilla fragrance oil turns um, the soap, Everything dark brown. Yeah. So anyhow, that's just an example of one thing that can that can go. But the fragrance oils from soaping companies are very tested and they have very specific directions. They will not yeah. lead you astray if you do, in fact, read instead of just order. As right. I did, I just checked that it was safe for a cold process and went ahead. Yeah. Like, yep. Good <laughs> to <laughs> go. Good to go. Good to go. Live some, you'll learn some. So <laughs> essential oils, then, on the other hand, is an oil that's derived from a plant. That's used for therapeutic properties or just to smell nice. It's absolutely vital that you measure your essential oils because they can absolutely be dangerous. If you're brand new to soap making and prefer a pre-made recipe from a trusted source, such as the nerdy farm wife, Jan Berry, the title of her book is Simple and Natural Soap Making. And this is where both of us actually learned how to soap. Tara knew about it ahead of time, but she sent me the book recommendation, but it's An incredible book. We both absolutely adore it and we use it all the time. Yeah. So there'll be a link to her website that lists all of her books, courses, and free recipes. So please check it out. She's worked very hard in the soap industry to make all of this accessible for beginning soap makers. So if you're ready to make your own blends, absolutely run the essential oils through an essential oil calculator just to be sure that you're not going to hurt anyone. A note also, do not use any um, multi-level marketing oils. They're way too freaking expensive not any better than the ones you can get from Brambleberry or New Directions Aromatics. So, yeah, Brambleberry is a soap making company by the way if you're not familiar. Yeah, it would it would be insane to use those products in soap. Yeah, Just make because per bar price like through the roof.
1: You couldn't even No, it would be like
0: $30 a bar. Right. And
1: you can get good quality ones. I mean, they're expensive cuz they're essential oils. Right. But you can get good quality essential oils especially from new directions aromatics i just found them and they just have really good shipping rates and i just really enjoy them Brambleberry has all that's who i used when i first started i was just shocked that i could get you know 20 ounces of lavender oil for the cost of what one mlm (laughs) tiny half a teaspoon milliliter essential oil is yeah Yeah, it's insane so definitely don't and there's people that swear that you have to use mlm ones on soap no You'd never financially recover. No.
0: Yeah. Don't listen to
1: that. Don't do it.
0: Don't do it. So soap calc then is another reference you need to know about. Um, Once you're more comfortable with soap making and ready to develop your own recipe that's unique to you, you can go ahead and use this tool. It's called the soap calculator. And soap calculator is a great way to run your recipes through and give you the exact amount of lye to water to oils along with the amount of super fat you need. So there's a whole bunch of different um, soap calculators online, but essentially it's just like we were talking about in those ratios earlier, it helps you know exactly what's safe. So if you want to develop your own recipe, great. Or that doesn't even have to be for if you're super advanced, right? Like I had already started a batch and found out I was out of, I don't know, almond oil or something. Yeah. Right. But I've got like a ton of sunflower oil or what have you. Right. Yeah. You can plug you can plug that recipe that it's somebody else's recipe or a recipe out of that book in and just change it to whatever you have to substitute and make sure everything works out.
1: Yeah, and that's a great way to just Mm -hmm. check and make sure that a recipe's not outdated as well.
0: Outdated and yeah, and that's the thing is even in Jan's book, she's like, You should check everybody's recipes, check mine. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you're right.
1: It's a great way to do it. And then just a note on that as well, each oil requires a specific amount of lye because it's a different chemical. The oil is. It could be slight, very, very slight, but you still need to make sure Yeah, you're running it through the soap calc always. Why soap? This is a question you need to ask yourself prior to diving into soap making. Where are you coming from and why you want to make soap will determine the kind of soap you want to make. Just really look at why you want to do this.
0: I feel like that's in almost every single episode we have. I know. We're like like three-year-olds. Why?
1: Why? 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 It's important though. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Because this equipment isn't cheap, if you're wanting to utilize the goods that are on your farm or homestead, maybe you should try doing cold process. Or if you want a new hobby, maybe try melt and pour soap kits before jumping in headfirst to cold process soap making. If you are artistic and want to make like really awesome, cool designs, maybe cold process soap making is the right thing for you. Just ask yourself why and adjust from there. For reference, I have had a lot of pig fat that I needed to render down and I wanted to utilize all the fat from my pigs and it was important to me that I honored the entire animal. But I could only make so many lard biscuits, right? Right. They're so good though. (laughs) They are good. So I reached out to a friend of mine who makes soap and asked her for advice. She really held my hand. Through those first months and got me started in cold process and the hot process method using the crock pot. After I became more skilled in using Jan Berry's recipes, I developed my own, and the majority of the recipe is still lard. And on top of that, I'm utilizing wild herbs, flowers, milk from my cow, honey from the bees, etc. So my inspiration was utilizing fat that otherwise would go to waste, and to also move away from using any palm oil in my household.
0: I was trying not to get on a tangent on palm oil. <laughs>
1: There's no sustainable palm oil.
0: So, yeah, if uh, we don't need to add another tangent in here, as hard as I'm trying to, but (laughs) if you guys aren't familiar with the process of palm oil, research it. And the next time, this is the perfect time of year. Go to the grocery store and look at ingredients, and you'll be hard-pressed to find things without palm oil. Right. I, at one point, was, like, adamant about not using it in my soaps because I did do the research, and then, um, it started with, I was looking for a chocolate. I was trying to make a very specific chocolate cause I get real extra on my yes, city here in the winters. <laughs> um, and I couldn't find a single chocolate in my grocery store that didn't have palm oil in it. And I was like disgusted yeah. by it. It's like, I've yeah. been eating that chocolate my entire life. I had no idea that it had a palm oil in it. And I right. start looking, it's just disheartening. So I guess Google at your own risk, but don't use it in your soap.
1: If you can, yeah. You can. Yeah. I just know that most vegan recipes call for it. I know. It's tragic. So I'm always like, uh... the thing about lard and tallow is it's a byproduct of something that's already being utilized that otherwise they throw away
0: oftentimes. And the thing about vegan is it's not always for environment. People don't always choose veganism for environmental purposes, right? Right. Which is fine. Again, we all have our own whys as to where we get wherever we get. But um, I think that's why it's allowed in vegan stuff all of the time. Yeah. Even though it's tragic for animals. Right. Tragic. There's a lot
1: of vegan recipes out there that are not utilizing palm oil. So. Yeah. If you are interested in vegan soaps, definitely look for a recipe that's non-vegan. Actually, Jan Berry's book covers that very There's very tons well. Of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tons of plant-based soap recipes. So to get started, what you're gonna need, your very first purchase will absolutely be proper protective equipment. So this is gonna include gloves, eye protection, dedicated long sleeves, shirts, socks, and pants. There's no way around it. Even if you wear glasses like Tara does, they do make eye protection that goes over glasses and you can get that don't skip it. So, and especially cuz it's so easy to get. You can even get it at your local hardware store. Yeah,
1: or... I got ones that go over glasses in right. in Montana. So, yeah, in the middle of nowhere. You can nowhere. do it. Right. Yes.
0: Um there, this equipment is definitely all over online too if you're already placing an order for soaping equipment Yeah.
1: Brambleberry actually has everything you need. Yeah.
0: So. So after that, you're going to need containers. And I know we all love glass in our little homesteading community, and we want to stay away from plastic, but this can be tricky with soap. Lye mixed with water, which is the kind of the first step, that heats up to about 200 degrees, sometimes more, and that can absolutely break glass containers. So remember when you're soap making, the chemical reaction needs to occur, right? And that can break glass. That's just right. I remember yeah. researching, like trying to find a way around that. No, it's just what it is. So yeah, you also need to stay away from aluminum and a lot of different metals because that can react with the lye as well, and it's pretty bad. So ideally, you want a heavy-duty number five plastic or stainless steel for mixing the lye water for your solution tubs. So the Dollar Tree does sell these great large white ones that have a spout that makes it perfect to pour into the mold so you don't have to spend an arm and a leg. Um, Right. Speaking of your local hardware store, we need to get sponsored by local hardware stores.
1: Seriously? Our first episode was featuring them.
0: Yeah, a lot of. (laughs) Never ends. How are your vlogs? They're good. Good. They're good. Speaking of hardware stores.
1: (laughs) That was actually a drugstore.
0: Thank you. Oh, geez. Well, you know. (laughs) Uh, So you can also uh, find a lot of these pails too, and like the paint department is another good place to look. Just check the plastic number on the bottom inside the little recycling yeah. triangle so next you want beakers and again plastic and these make it nice to measure out certain oils and lye and water etc um try and get like three to start out you'll build on that yeah because especially as you're making multiple batches if you scale this up into any sort of operation and then um as we kind of alluded to earlier you absolutely need a scale we use um, ounces to measure but you can also use grams but this has to be exact either way and you cannot yeah. measure in cups with soap, as we had said. So there's great kitchen scale options out there. Most of them are like 12 bucks. You can find them online. I think our grocery store even has kitchen scale. So nice. you can find them at a lot of places.
1: I just recently got a jewelry one for measuring out essential oils because they need to be so exact. So oh, I actually have two.
0: Nice. Like a little... It's tiny. Well, there's another word for them. Now I'm losing my... Kilos? No. No, not kilos.
1: Kilos are big. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to measure things. Hi, Canadian listeners! Thanks for joining us. (laughs) We no longer have Canadian listeners.
0: (laughs) Next week, I'm gonna be like, it's so weird. Our Canadian listeners just went down to zero. Yeah. No, there's a name for those tiny little scales. I forget what they're called. I have one too. I bought it for fecal samples. (laughs) Different different application stuff that you and I do. Okay. Uh, So you're gonna need spatulas. The more spatulas you have, the better. Variety of sizes are perfect. And you're also going to need teaspoons, tablespoons, stainless steel or plastic work for these. Uh, another thing to have in your areas like spoons and forks as well for fun designs. All of those things, go ahead and pick up like at your dollar store. Yeah. Get them super cheap. Um, get more than you think you need because yeah. there's times during the soap process that you don't have time to go wash something. Washing. Yeah. And then there's time where there is time. It's just real inconvenient. So. Yeah. Um, And then everything that you use for soap should be for soap. So if you get these things at the dollar store, you can just keep them in a soaping kit and that's what I do. Yeah. Then they're, you're not making granny's birthday cake the next day out of the same with your soap spatula. No. yeah, Don't do it. Right. So molds, then you're going to need something to pour your soap in. You can either do a traditional loaf mold and cut it. And that's just a big rectangle. Um, Or you can do individual molds, each type have their place we find that loaf molds are the best to start out with Um, you can choose to go this way or just remember that you're going to need some way to cut the soap as well they do sell hand soap cutters which are just fine to use when you're getting started yeah Um, they kind of look like a pastry cutter almost I think they're the same Um, thing probably probably a note on molds if you are like, man, I've already spent kind of a lot of money on the other stuff that you guys have mentioned. Get online, because there is a lot of, like, crafty DIY molds out there. Yeah. Pringles. Um, what Pringles, are they, Pringles?
1: Cans. cans that's the cartons,
0: word. whatever they are. Half and half cartons. Yeah, milk milk jugs or orange juice jugs. Yeah, Not the where there's a rectangle. Yeah, rectangle one. like the waxed cardboard type things. Yeah. If you are looking for an area to cut a corner, that's a decent one. If you're yeah. just looking to make soap. For your family or whatever so um, an immersion blender not an area you want to cut corners because trust us you don't want to sit there forever and hand mix your oils and <laughs> it was sorry to laugh. literal ever because <laughs> you know take forever yeah ask me how i know you may you read the rest of it too just in case one catches on fire in the middle of making soap ask us not, how we know
1: i'm laughing because i wrote this and you haven't read it yet and then you just read it and it happened to you oh
0: my god And i think i'm so funny thank god it was like in the middle of, <laughs> middle winter, of winter because i literally ran this thing that was on fire out of my <laughs> basement and threw it into the yard i can't.
1: i can't i just want to know if somebody was like coming to visit you and they just promptly turn around because they see an immersion blender on fire and you have to like they're like i gotta go i got places to be that happens around here
0: i'm sure (laughs) just chucked it and uh yeah it sunk into the snow this is really cool really cool make sure you have an exit plan if you're going to be using any sort of electronics yeah (laughs) it's a general psa so oils, again, this comes down to what you want out of your soap. Do you need to utilize your own lard or tallow? Do you want a vegan bar? Um, you can go to Costco and get olive oil and coconut oil. Order castor oil from Bram- Brambleberry Berry or uh, follow a good recipe that's listed in the Simple and Natural Soap Making book by Jan Berry. Um, a note to the, when I first got started into making beauty products, I just wanted to try some things Yeah. without getting too involved. A lot of like the health food stores have a lot of these more unique oils.
1: Yeah. Um, like shea butters get, and stuff. But you can yeah, find a little them in,
0: castor oil at yes. the drugstore. Yes, you can get that there. Um, and yeah. if you're just looking to try out making one bar, great. Do that. Don't worry yeah. about shipping. But
1: don't buy bulk if you don't know. Yeah. For example, I can't use anything with cocoa. I'm allergic to cocoa. So I can't use cocoa butter. I can't use like a pretty cocoa line on my soap because I'm allergic to it.
0: That's tragic, actually. Yeah. Super sad for me. I can't eat chocolate. (laughs) Well, at least you're not consuming palm oil. Yeah. Serious quantities. (laughs) The trickery. So lie. You can get this from the plumbing aisle in most hardware stores. I just recently or Tara just recently switched to Brambleberry's Lye because it's less like a sand and more like big chunks that make it easier to pour out. Either way is just fine. Just make sure it's 100% sodium hydroxide and it will say that on the bottle and you will find a skull and crossbones on it.
1: It's a good way to find it.
0: Poison. Yeah, there's the the chunks versus the sand type. It's If you're going to be looking to make a ton of soap, that'll become more important because it won't dust out and stuff. You'll see that yeah. when you're shopping for lies. So you don't want to be breathing that stuff in. So uh, running water, is also a real good thing to have. Make sure you're not making soap when your power goes out. Terra sits her lye mixture in the sink when she's working with it. I do mine in the basement on a table, so I don't have that. But yeah. just plan on it like it's going to spill. We've never had lye mixtures spill out, but you want to just prepare for it, like the worst case scenario. And if it's already in your sink, then it's contained. A note on that, if lye does spill, spill out anywhere or if it gets on your hands, or what have you, again, ask me how I know. I always have a gallon jug, a full gallon jug of white vinegar
1: at Yeah. my
0: soaping station. Um, again, I don't have running water where I'm at, but vinegar will neutralize it. Yeah. Like when I did get it on my arm, I threw vinegar on it.
1: Yeah, and you weren't burned that bad.
0: I didn't it. even really leave a mark. Yeah. I mean, you could see it for like the next day or something, and then it was gone. Right. But I knew I knew it had happened immediately when it happened, Right. and I had my vinegar, so it wasn't... A huge deal. Just, just did. Distilled water is also something you'll want to have, and the reason that you want this is because the lye can react with minerals in tap water or well water and cause unwanted chemical reactions. And a digital laser thermometer, th- whoa, digital laser thermometer is imperative. Yes. If you don't have one of these already, get one. Tara and I use it. I literally use it for everything. Farm.
1: <laughs> everything
0: i use it for cheese are you sick
1: (laughs) yeah you can't catch your kid i gotta just point and shoot
0: um to see like if one is hotter than the (laughs) other if they're having like a lameness issue where else i used used mine through my entire house when i was trying to figure out where to store pig semen (laughs) like if you have a farm you need one of these
1: The applications are endless. We should be sponsored by laser
0: thermometers. Seriously. And then have a roll of paper towels too. You'll want that for cleanup.
1: Yeah, I go through so many.
0: With soaping, I do too.
1: Let's go to the basics. This is just like a quick rundown of how soap making typically goes for me. Again, we're not liable for you. I just want to give you like a snapshot of how I do it. So I deep clean the kitchen and make sure that all the counters are wiped down and I am able to like 100% focus on the task at hand. I try not to listen to podcasts. I just try to listen to music when I'm doing this because yeah, you can't really focus and you need to read a lot when you're making soap. So a lot of times you can't really talk. You're just like into your work. So I have my recipe and all my supplies pulled out and easily available so I don't have to run away because again, it's a chemical reaction and there's timing parts to it. So if it seizes or whatever in the bowl, you're kind of screwed. So no pets or kids are allowed in the kitchen while I make the soap. And it's just really important to be aware of your surroundings. Next, I make sure I have all my PPE, including glasses over my glasses, gloves, socks, pants, long shirt, crystals. I'm just kidding. No crystals are needed. (laughs) You're
0: you're not kidding.
1: (laughs) I'm not kidding. No, they're always around, right? Right. And I get all my supplies I need out and make sure they're clean and dry. A lot of the times I'll have to wipe my bowls out again, but just because I'll clean it after I make the soap, but you'll have extra in it. So my scale comes out and I measure the exact amount of water I need. And I set the distilled water that's non-reactive and non-reactive in the bowl in the sink. Next, I carefully measure out my lye. Now this is where your clean and dry teaspoons come in handy. I sometimes like scoop out excess if I put too much into the bowl and I get the exact amount to prevent your lye being too heavy in your bar of soap. Once my lye is measured, I go ahead and carefully and slowly add the lye into the water that's in the sink. And I use a spatula to ensure that all the grains of lye are incorporated with the water. This solution needs time to react and then cool down. This can take about an hour. So while this is cooling, I move on to my oils. So all your solid oils need to be not solid. So that means you need to gently melt them. Again, do not use aluminum for these oils. I measure every hard oil out and place them in like a warmed oven. You can use microwaves. You can use a double broiler. Just people have certain preferences. I figured you used a double broiler because it's a really nice way to be gentle with the oils.
0: Well, it is, and so I had mentioned I don't do mine in my kitchen because at one point I was making like soap at scale, so setting up and tearing down was always a deal. But what I ended up finding, I just bought one of those little burners. Yeah. So um, I have a little burner thing in my soap station, and I do. I have a big pot of water that works to do the double broiler. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have to soap like in a garage or something, don't forget about those little burner plates they are great.
1: All my oils are mixed once they're not solid. And then I go ahead and measure out like other additives I plan on using and just set them aside. I don't mix them into the oils yet. And once my lye like cools and my oils are cool, usually around 100 degrees or less, you kind of want them to be really close in the same temperature. I slowly pour the lye solution into my oils and I use my immersion blender in spurts, so not to burn the motor. So you'll just make sure you burp your immersion blender too before you start this process so it doesn't have an air pocket in it. And that just means tipping it to the side. So while I'm doing this, I'm just watching the solution thicken up. This can take either 30 seconds or several minutes, just depending on the recipe. And make sure you burp the blender again, if you ever take it out. And I like a thicker trace because I like to make certain tops. So I look out for that and I just pull out the blender and make sure that some batter is left on the top, like a line of batter is left on the top and I make sure that it's coming to trace and that's how I check for a trace. I add my additives. So this can either be essential oils, oatmeal, honey. Just make sure you read the recipe that you're
0: following and add what you need to. And Jan's book has a whole list of optional additives.
1: Yeah, and she's really great about telling you how to add that and what it does too. Because certain additives will speed up or heat up, especially sugars, honeys, yeah, and that can be a problem. So I place the mixture into a mold, and depending on what I want to accomplish, I will put it in a place no one can reach with a towel around it, or I'll place it outside if it's cold pre- to prevent it from gelling. I do this a lot with my milk soaps because I like my milk soaps to be more white. After that, I will come back 24 hours later with gloves and try to unmold it. If it's too soft, I'll leave it outside of the mold and just leave it for a few hours. After I think it's not too tacky, I'll unmold and cut it into the bars. And after that, you just want to cure it. Again, we talked about curing earlier, but you just want it out of a place that doesn't have any sun and gets good airflow and it's not too moist. Again, curing is absolutely necessary. Mine goes on wood and I have a powder coated drying rack that I use as well. And I rotate them around every few days. So I make sure that each side is getting air flow to it. So it's not sitting on one side the whole entire time. Yeah. Like rotate the bar. Yeah, rotate the bar. Exactly, yep. So the best measure on how long it will take for them to cure is to measure them every couple of days and write it down. Over about four weeks, they'll lose water and become hard and much longer lasting, and they'll lose weight on top of that. It's not very much, but uh, you can definitely measure it. It's kind of neat how they do that. And once they stop losing water weight over, say, a week's time, they're cured. They're cured. Yeah. They're cured. (laughs) (laughs) All better. All better. So this is how I clean up. There are several methods of cleaning up your bowls and utensils and it's just really important you don't ruin your plumbing or septic or your dishwasher. I don't put any of mine in the dishwasher.
0: Mm-mm. Neither do mm. I. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have one.
1: You only have a milk dishwasher. So right. so you can either let your utensils sit and dry for 24 hours with a soap batter on it and then it's essentially soap and you can wash them off. Just use gloves because it is kind of like a harsh soap when it's just setting like that. And that's a really nice way to do it. And then it's kind of fun to see how well your soap worked, I guess
0: yeah because at that point after 24 hours it's relatively saponified yeah yeah
1: and it comes off really nice that way and this is just what i do because i make so much soap Um, i wipe all my bowls and utensils off very very well with paper towels while wearing my ppe still and i just throw the towels away and then i wash my soap supplies off with like dawn dish soap it's just really a personal preference and again i never put these in the dishwasher
0: so we have um, several favorite resources that we love. Again, can we mention Jan Berry's book one more time? Yeah. We should have taken a shot every time, except not because you're pregnant. Right? Never mind. It wouldn't <laughs> Sorry. Go well. It wouldn't go well. Simple and Natural Soap Making by Jan Berry. We both just adore the book. It's just such a great one for yeah, starters. Yeah. And it has
1: troubleshooting in it. It yeah. has how to do a hot process. It tells you exact things. And coolest thing I think is that she has charts of additives to make a color yeah, and shows you how she did it. Yep. Uh, so if you're wanting to play with natural
0: colors, it's a great book for that too. Well, and speaking of natural colors, that's one thing I will add about the book is that it, it aligns with what Tara and I are doing and also what most of our listeners and most people in the community are doing in trying to Either use what we have on hand or um, use things that are more, (laughs) I hate the word natural, but more natural and less synthetic, right? Yeah. So the whole book, um, like she doesn't use fragrance oils. She offers explanations to when you can substitute, obviously. Yeah. And then all of her colorants, she only uses natural colorants, right? So Mm -hmm. for us, it just really aligns with our values. (laughs) Yes. Aligns with what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah, and we're not saying that you can't use fragrance oils or micas because they make some awesome designs too. It's just what we're comfortable with is the other way, I guess. Yeah,
0: Brambleberry. we've mentioned that too. It's a site, soap-making site, and we love it because it's just so easy to buy entire kits. And you can do either with or... Or you can use micas and scents or natural ones, or you can buy the pieces that you need. They have a lot of great articles on soap making too and tons of videos. Um, order Start there if you're new as far yeah. as where to order and if you're trying to figure out what you need. Um, it's just kind of a fun website to just even scroll around and become familiar is. with what what's available.
1: I'm thinking about ordering the Monstera molds. So Monstera oh, is a there. So, they're so cute. I they're love so them. They're so cute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they had a, I remember seeing, they had a whole tutorial yep, on a
1: it's recommended. It's a whole kit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So anyways, they're a great one. I've found myself on their website. Like I'm asking you a question and guess what? It's on Brambleberry's blog or. Of course it is. Yeah. What have you, or there's a whole video on how to do it or what, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So soap calc, we also mentioned that and it needs to be mentioned again because it's very important. Um, essential oil calculator, no tablespoons or teaspoons. Measure exactly the amount that you need to be safe, and essential oils can be dangerous if they're not used properly, so the essential oil calculator is important. Our favorite soaper on YouTube, um, of course, is Katie from Royalty Soaps. She makes really fun videos and that make soap making so much more approachable and less terrifying. Katie really paved the way for soap making as an art form, and we'd really recommend you to go check it out and watch a few of her videos. And understand how fun it can really be. So, and then we'll have all of those links, I mean, through the whole episode, but especially that list we just mentioned in the show notes too. Hopefully you guys are inspired by this to give it a try because it is, it is super fun. We both really enjoy soap making. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever, well, with the current stash of soap I have in my basement right now, I don't think I ever will make soap again, but I don't think that I'll, I'll ever go back to store-bought. No. I think that's one of those things. We, we kind of talk about that every once in a while, like eggs, right? I won't eat eggs yeah. out <laughs> anywhere else. Right. And soap is like another one of those things in my world. Once you
1: use your own soap compared to like a detergent bar, you're like, holy cow, I can't believe I've been living this way the whole time.
0: Yeah. And it just feels good to know what's in there and know you did it with your own hands. Especially Especially yeah. um, Tara and I use our milk. We use our pig fat. I've used our egg. I've used egg yolks in my Yeah. Um, Honey. flowers that you grew honey yeah so it's kind of fun to see you can really put your whole farm into a single bar of soap and I think there's something really beautiful about that
1: yeah yeah and if you're not interested in soap making buy from somebody local who's making soap that you trust a lot of farmers are transitioning to soap making just because it's something that people all need and it's something that is really an art form so support your local soap maker yeah absolutely I love it all right I hope this helped you out. Until next time. Happy milking. Happy Happy milking.